Well, good morning. It's so great to be here with you. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that someone has died and they left you a big, massive field in the rocky foothills of the Tennessee River Valley, God's country. They left you all the equipment you would ever need, the tools they've arranged by their suppliers to provide all the seed you could ever use, all the fertilizer, the spray. They've even arranged for their partners to come and help harvest the fields each year. And they've even paid all the land taxes and insurance forever. Now, before you start thinking that you've hit the jackpot and you can just sell everything, the man that left this all to you has placed everything in a trust in his name and nothing of the property can ever be bought or sold. They've named you the overseer of the property and they've given you a significant share in the profits each year from the crops, anywhere from 30 to 60 to as much as $100,000 every year. The only problem is, before the man died, the field had sat dormant for quite a long time. No one has worked the field, and it's currently overtaken with weeds and thorns and thistles. It's a little rocky in places, but there's a nice warm path all the way in and around the field. So, you have the full rights, full access to the field that can't be bought, sold, or leased out. You've been given everything that you would ever need to work the field, all the seed provided for you, all the help that will come and help you bring in the harvest when it's ready. And best of all, you get a share in the profits, 30 to 60 to like $100,000 a year. So what do you do? Where do you start? If you're already a farmer or have ever worked on a farm, you're thinking, I've really hit the jackpot. If you've never farmed before, then maybe you call everyone you know who has. You start doing your research on farming, equipment, soil prep, fertilizing, planting, whatever else it might take to figure out how to be both effective and efficient at bringing in the crops. After all, this is an opportunity that's about to change your life. Or maybe you hate farming. First off, you should probably stop eating because about everything we eat has ingredients that were grown either on a farm somewhere or commercially. But it's okay, maybe you're not interested. Maybe you just like your comfortable life and you just simply just let the ground sit and go to waste. Maybe you'll go and play on it with your kids. It's not worth your time and effort to put forth the work required to get the seed in the ground. And you're kind of offended that the man didn't actually leave you the field that you could actually sell it and reap the harvest, the benefit of the value of the field that way. The point's this, while everyone has the same opportunity with the same field, not everyone is going to respond in the affirmative in the same way. Not everyone's going to be willing to put in the work and the effort that's required to bring in the crops each year. And that, my friends, is the very point here today in our text that Jesus is making to our disciples. The main point, the central point you're going to see over and over through this parable we're going to look at is that not everyone who hears the word of God, the gospel, receives it unto salvation. Not everyone who hears the word of God, the gospel, receives it unto salvation. Now, I know this may be an obvious statement, but it seems as if the original hearers weren't getting it. Jesus had been having a rough time with the religious leaders. 
If you go back and look in chapter 12, they had plotted to kill him just for healing a man on the Sabbath. They blasphemed the Holy Spirit by calling the power Jesus was using that of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And they tried to manipulate him by asking him for a sign to prove that he was who he says he was. And above all that, apparently there were some problems at home, something going on with his own family, because when his mother and brother show up wanting to talk to him, he basically said that whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and brother and sister. And this is where our narrative picks up in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Follow along with me, if you will. Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Now, I tried to really do some research into this. I couldn't tell. I went back in chapter 12, and if you look in chapter 12, like there's a lot here. Jesus goes, and he's teaching in the synagogue, and, 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 he, and he leaves that place, and he goes to another place. He's teaching in the house, and this is where they bring him the guy with the withered hand, and he heals him, and and, the, and they try to plot to kill him, and he, and he leaves there, I think. And then it shows here he's going into the house. It would be the house of Peter where he was staying there in Capernaum. And here we see that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Yeah, no kidding. I would have probably needed a lake day too after all that. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. According to Michael Wilkins, traditional scholars locate this place of this discourse at a distinct inlet now called the Cove of the Parables. It's about a mile southwest of Capernaum, which is where he was staying, in Peter's house at the end of chapter 12, as we mentioned. The land slopes down like a natural horseshoe-shaped amphitheater which would allow for environmental acoustics for Jesus' voice to carry the distance required from the boat to the crowds. Israeli scientists have tested the acoustics in modern times and found them to be realistic for Jesus' parables to have been heard. He was also like the son of God. He could have projected his voice across the seas if he so chose. This is the first of seven parables he's going to give here in chapter 13. And we learned some time back, Pastor Tom taught us, you may recall, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus taught this way approximately one-third of all his teachings. Alistair Begg says that to teach in parable is to cast alongside or to take a deep spiritual truth and cast alongside something from the natural world that's easily understood to help apply that spiritual truth. In many of Jesus' parables, he uses extended simile as his literary device. You know, like or as. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down in the lake. Like or as. Simile. Here we see Jesus use a different literary device. Here we see the master teacher use allegory in trying to get his message across. Now, allegory can be kind of tricky to interpret because by definition, allegory simply means a story with a hidden meaning. Allegory is a story with a hidden meaning. The good news is that Jesus gives us this hidden meaning, or at least he gave it to his disciples. So let's look here at one of his famous parables, the parable of the sower. This parable and its explanation by Jesus 
is divided into at least three subsections you're going to see that will serve as our outline. And then I've added a fourth that will serve as the application for today's message. The sower, the seed, the soil, and the so what. The sower, the seed, the soil, and the so what. Let's take a look. Matthew 13, verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. Well, it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the hard truth that defines this parable is that not everyone who hears the word of God, the gospel, receives it unto salvation. First, the sower. The sower. The sower's job is to broadcast the seed. Notice how little emphasis is placed here on the farmer. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Nothing's really said here much about the farmer, the sower. Was he a dynamic sower? Could he really relate to the different types of soil? What translation of seed did he use? Did he wear pointer overalls? The only thing that we learn about the sower is that he sowed. Everywhere. And thank God he did. Now, obviously, the original farmer in this parable, hopefully, is literally the man telling the story, Jesus. He's demonstrating to his listeners that he's coming to the world to deliver the world and to deliver the good news of the gospel or of the kingdom of God. He has come to offer himself as a substitutionary atonement or sacrifice. Those are big words that simply mean he took our place and paid the penalty for our sin before a holy God. Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The apostle Paul put it this way in his second letter to Corinth. God has made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God in human flesh, came to earth as a baby, living a perfect life and offering that life as a substitute, a sacrifice on Calvary's cross, dying in our place and for our salvation, securing eternal life by coming back from the dead and then ascending into heaven, filling us with his Holy Spirit, that we may live in freedom and hope, filled with all joy and peace, knowing that not only have our sins been forgiven, but that we've been forever set right with our God. That's the gospel. Because of Jesus, we can have confident assurance that through faith in him, because of his sacrifice, there's nothing broken, nothing missing in our lives. That's the very life within the core of the seed. That's the gospel. But unfortunately, however, not everyone who hears the word of God, the gospel, receives it unto salvation. The sower. The sower's job is to broadcast the seed. Let's take it just a minute and look how that was done. Verses 4 through 8 here. I'm paraphrasing a little. It says, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path 
Some fell on rocky places, some fell on thorny places, and some fell on good soil. The farmer is just scattering or broadcasting it everywhere. The seed would have been sown broadcast style by scattering it in all directions all over the field, from the worn path around the field all the way to the rocky edges of the fields tucked in the hillsides. Jesus' listeners would have been very familiar with all of these farming principles and practices and techniques. Nothing would have surprised them so far. Now, before you think there was really no other work involved, but just blindly broadcasting the seed as far and wide as humanly possible all over the field once or twice a year, the Israelites would have known that the fields were to be plowed both before they sowed and after. They did this to better their chances of getting the proper seed to soil contact, that the seed would have an opportunity to germinate and grow. For wheat seed, the needed to be planted anywhere from one to three inches below the soil. It's still the same wheat, one to three inches below the soil. So they would plow the fields. They would just broadcast, throw them everywhere. I love like the new modern day, you know, like we got these little hand cranks now that you walk up and down the field. Or if you're fancy, you got like a planter that's pulled behind a tractor that you set the depth and it just pokes it right where it needs to go. They didn't have that. So they would plow the field, they would sow the seed, and they would plow the field again to cover it with the dirt to make sure it got enough soil above it that the moisture it would gain would allow it to germinate. So this brings us to the seed. The seed. The seed, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I know this may seem simple this morning, but realistically, I think that we must never forget that the very gospel itself, the good news that Jesus saves, that man was separated from God because of our sin, and Christ intervened, God intervened by coming to the earth, taking on human flesh, living that perfect life, and offering that life as a sacrifice that we might be forgiven and be restored and be united to God. That's the good news Alistair Beck says this famous line instructing his listeners to be careful how they use and interpret the scriptures. He says, the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. Don't you love that? The gospel has always been, it still is, and it always will be the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. We must not water it down. We must not take away from it. We must not try to make it relative. The truth is that God saves sinners. The truth that the world needs is that Jesus came to offer salvation and forgiveness and restoration. The problem is not everyone who hears the word of God, the gospel, receives it unto salvation. The sower's job is to sow the seed. The seed is the word of God, the gospel. Just as the seed contains all the fullness of the plant just waiting to be planted and revealed, so the word of God reveals all the fullness of God to us through Christ, just waiting to be planted deep within the recesses of the human heart and mind, revealing to us all the fullness of God and the life that he brings to our spirit and to those around us. The gospel is the only thing that can revive a dead soul. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and at just the right time, through the power of his Holy Spirit, the truth of the gospel brought us to life in him. Don't ever forget, in this world we live in, in this day and age, the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So what makes the difference? 
What makes the difference between someone who hears the gospel and receives it by faith, repenting from sin and living a life seeking to please and pursue God, and the one who hears it and just sort of remains passive, stakes no claims to Jesus. Maybe they believe in God or some form of higher power, but they deny that the creator became flesh and dwelt among us. They would give no credibility to the miracles of Jesus, the virgin birth, and most certainly not the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. How in the world can so many people hear the exact same message and yet receive it so many different ways and different responses? The answer, the soil. Number three, the soil. The soil, the condition of the heart and mind of those who interact with the gospel. The soil is the condition of the heart and mind of those who interact with the gospel. Jesus gives us the explanation here. He gives it to his disciples, rather, uh, after they come to him, and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you teaching them in parables? What's going on? And Jesus gives a little bit of explanation here. Let's look at verse 18. He reveals to us the, de- the meaning behind this parable and the differences in the soil. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word of God and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, he quickly falls away. This one who received the seed that fell among thorns is the man who hears the word of God, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Let's look first at the path. The hard-hearted. The hard ground. The path was a worn down, beat down path that went all the way around the edge of the field and oftentimes right through it. This path would have been worn down and hardened, serving as the cart path, if you will. The 90 degree rule was always in effect. No one, golf, anybody? I almost took it out. (laughs) The cart path, it would have never been plowed. It was hard. It had beaten down. They wouldn't plow it. They used it as a path to get around the field. It was inevitable that while the farmer would be broadcasting the seed, some seed would fall upon the path. And oftentimes, birds would circle the field as the farmers were casting seed. And that seed that fell along the path, the hard ground, would have been eaten by the birds. Exactly what Jesus is mentioning. No surprises to his listeners. These are the hard-hearted Many of these people have been worn down and beat down by the circumstances of life. And for whatever reason, they're hardened to the things of God. They hear the word of God and give no room for consideration. Maybe they've been hurt by someone or maybe they were just brought up in a family that was closed off to the things of God. The soil of their heart is packed tight, making the seed an easy meal for the enemy. As with everyone, only a miracle from God can save them. Thank goodness we have one. Next, let's look at the rocky ground. The rocky ground, the shallow ground. Conditions for farming in many areas 
of Israel were not very favorable. The terrain was often very uneven and rocky. Often there would be thin layers of soil just covering the rock. Seed that landed on this shallow soil would germinate, but it could not put down deep enough roots to take in the moisture that it needed that, to, to continue to grow. And as soon as the hot sun came out, the plant was burned up. These are those with shallow or kind of a misguided belief. They perhaps had an emotional response to the gospel, but it was not grounded in true faith leading to salvation. It's often founded on what the individual expects to receive from God. They have no biblical foundation for their belief to grow at the first sign of trouble. They simply fall away. When persecution comes, they fall away. When trouble comes, they fall away. This is why Sunday school and corporate worship and Wednesday nights and the life of the church are so important. Giving yourself and giving your children a true biblical foundation that deepens the fertile soil in our hearts helps us endure and persevere through our faith in difficult times of this life that most certainly are going to come. Proverbs tells us, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. This is where I believe most of the crowds were. In our story today, Jesus, he seems to be trying to get away. He was at the house. It's a crowd everywhere. His mother and brothers come to want to talk to him. It's just so much going on. And the same day, it says he left and went off to the lake. Well, they, they followed him. He'd been performing miracles. He had healed the blind, the sick, the lame, the dead. I mean, like, he'd been doing some crazy stuff. And so they hung around to see what he was going to do. They wanted to get in on the action. They weren't necessarily there seeking fulfillment for their deepest need, as Pastor Tom would teach us. But they were looking for just the fulfillment of whatever they thought their most current pressing need was at the time. What might I get from you, Jesus? I'll come with this kind of contractual agreement that, yeah, I believe in you, but you're going to bless me, right? You're going to make me healthy, and you're going to give me great riches, or you're going you're to heal me from this thing, or you're going to do whatever it is I think you should do in my life. Now, the next one scares me, the thorny ground, worldliness. The thorny ground is the one who hears the word of God, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Of all of these, this is the one that concerns me the most. I've experienced this in my own life, and perhaps you have as well. If we're not careful, we can easily allow the cares of this world to distract us from the mission of the kingdom. This is the danger I believe the American church is in. Yes, we can be hard-hearted. Yes, we can be shallow in our beliefs or biblical literacy, but the danger of worldliness crouches at our doors every day. With inflation, the economy, bills, responsibilities, keeping up with the Joneses and ensuring our kids have a streamlined path to professional sports, how in the world could our mind's attention and our heart's affection be set upon the gospel kingdom mission? The heart will be captured by something. Where a man's treasure is, his heart is there also. Lord, may we not be distracted by the pleasures and the riches of this world, but may our heart's true desire be for you, your kingdom, and the purposes for which you placed us here today, to know you and to make you known. Unfortunately, not everyone who hears the word of God, the gospel, receives it unto salvation. Let's look quickly at the good soil, the heart that produces. The good soil, the heart that produces. It's interesting that the word used here when describing the good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it. In my uh, translation, the, the NIV 84 in the English here, the NIV doesn't completely reflect the fullness of what it means to 
understand it the way we think of the word. Mark's gospel uses the word accept it. The Greek word meaning to receive or to take upon, specifically to take upon oneself. Luke's gospel account uses the word retain it, meaning to take possession of it. All of them in their original language have very similar meaning. The heart that receives the word of God into himself or into herself is the heart and mind that take possession of the gospel. They make it their own. They realize that the truth that God saves sinners and that Jesus came is for you. It's for me. It's for us. It's for myself. I take it unto myself. It's personal. The gospel takes possession of us. The gospel takes possession through the power of the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. The Christian's life become more and more overcome by the beautiful fact that Jesus saves. How many of you can relate? The longer you walk with God, the more you experience his goodness and his faithfulness, the more he delivers you through time and time again, the more you see him provide, the more you see him protect, you begin to trust him more, you begin to adore him more. And man, it's just like love just begins to pour out. Joy just begins to pour out. Peace just begins to pour out. And it becomes contagious. This is what I believe he has for us to live in, this freedom, this life of joy and completeness that comes from knowing him, produces This love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit here at least is not all that Jesus is referring to when he talks about producing a crop. Now, this is the part where the entire crowd got lost. Up until this statement, they were probably with him. They may not have understood the real meaning behind the parable, that they were probably nodding in agreement about all the farming stuff until he says... He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Excuse me, what? This never happened. What are you talking about? You plant one grain of wheat or one wheat seed and one uh, wheat plant grows up. How in the world could one wheat seed multiply and produce 30, 60, or 100 times itself? Ah, Now you're asking the right question. Jesus here reveals to us the mystery of kingdom multiplication. Kingdom multiplication. It brings us to the so what. The so what. God has invited us into into his harvest field. The greatest invitation that we have is to receive Christ, receive the good news of the gospel and the salvation for ourselves. And the second greatest is to participate in what God's doing all over the world. To be a part of helping others to receive the gospel and to grow in their faith and to become mature Christian followers of Jesus, to participate in God's ministry and his kingdom work all over the world, here in Coleman, across the street, at your job, at your workplaces, at your school, on your ball teams, and everything that we do every single day, our intention is to know God. God's purpose for you is at least twofold for everybody in this room, is to know him, experience him, and guess what? To help make him known to others, to help other people experience him, to help other people experience the love and the grace and the freedom that comes from knowing him. Part of our effectiveness as Christians is to understand that not everyone came from the same soil. Yes, you're going to face some hard soil, some rocky soil, some thorny soil, but also some good ground. There's a lot of good ground in Coleman, Alabama. Great place to be. Everyone's soil's been formed by their limitless amount of different life experiences and circumstances. So many of them are out of our control, like your childhood upbringing, 
your family's religious beliefs, your socioeconomic status, what country you were born in, your biological parents, their relationship to you and to each other. These are all things that none of us chose. These are all elements that participated in the formation of our heart and mind from a very early age. There are things, however, that we do choose that impact our heart and mind's condition. How do you prioritize your time? What gets the bulk of your attention? What do you allow yourself to indulge in? Are you seeking lasting fulfillment in things that are temporary? What do you allow into your eyes and ears that funnel down into your heart and soul? Are you guarding your heart, spending time alone with God? Just like the ancient farmers in the Near East, sometimes the soil needs to be plowed and worked. The weeds, the thorns, and the rocks removed, exposing the good soil. Parents, I know you feel the same weight of responsibility that I do for the spiritual formation of our children. Many of you in this room have raised children and job well done. It's a scary thing. I sometimes think I'm messing mine up, just so you know. The good news is that I know, though, that he's God's child. And hopefully I can demonstrate God and his love to him and what it looks like to follow after him, to love others. Then I trust that our God will take care of his own and will bring them all safely home. You remember that field that we imagined in the introduction? The one where a man died and left you an overseer over his field? The field was never in your name, but it remained secure through a trust in his name. The owner provided all the tools and equipment you would ever need to work his field. He, through all his different suppliers, provided all the seed. He even arranged for partners to come and help you bring in the harvest. He paid not only the price for the field, but he secured all expenses and insurance required to keep the field. Yeah, the field's become overgrown. It often lays dormant for too long. The weeds, the thorns, and thistles choke out opportunity for harvestable growth. Something must be done. The opportunity is there. What will you do with the invitation? You've been given the opportunity of eternity to participate in the field of God's kingdom, in his labor, in his harvest field. Jesus The Bible says, went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Not everyone who hears the word of God, the gospel, receives it unto salvation. Have you received it unto yourself today? If not, may today be the day of salvation for you, my friend. Have you allowed the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches to choke out the work of God in your life? Repent today and ask God to restore you or perhaps grant to you the joy of your salvation for the first time and the privilege of following after him. We join in on the work that God's doing all across this big field called earth. You have everything you need in him, the seed of his word he's provided, and partners everywhere. Will you plow? Will you sow? 
Will you go? Receive this invitation today. Respond as the Lord leads. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, King Jesus, that you are trustworthy. We thank you that you came and offered your life as a sacrifice that we might know you, a people unworthy of you, oh God, a people that not deserving of your grace and your love. But Lord, I pray that today that we gain a new, a fresh sense of your presence, that we understand, Lord, that the gospel, the day you saved us, is just as powerful for the gospel today. So God, I pray that you would ignite our hearts. God, give us a fresh vision for the crowds. Give us a fresh vision for the lost, for the people around us every day as we interact. May we be intentional to demonstrate your love. May we be intentional to sow the seed of the gospel, to plant the truth of your word, Lord God, and trust that you will do the rest. We pray, oh God, for specific opportunities this week to be useful in your harvest field. If there's anybody today that doesn't know you, I pray that today is the day of salvation for them. Draw men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.